give me a signal if I didn't get that turned on right. Look like it's got me? Good. Well, I want to express my appreciation for the invitation to be here working with you this week. We've been uh, working on this meeting and trying to get it together for some time now, and I'm very thrilled that we're uh, able to be together. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, it's, it's not that often that I hold a gospel meeting where, uh, as far to my knowledge, I haven't met anyone in the congregation before I arrived. Uh, but I, I did have, I guess, a connection with Brother Bowen, some of his family uh, back in, um, uh, or, or up in Athens, uh, Alabama, and some meetings uh, uh, that I've held up there. So I guess that's the way that, that uh, I was able to get acquainted with all of you. But I, I was uh, telling Bob this morning that I was talking to my mom about the meeting uh, that I was going to be holding down here, her brother and his family. Uh, lived here in Birmingham for many years, and she said, well, Brett, that, that's where we would worship when we'd go down, down to see uh, family. Of course, I was asking Bob when, when this uh, congregation started, when the building was built, and I guess it goes back to uh, sometime around 1980, and my last visit uh, here with my parents was prior to that. So uh, I don't know, I, I can't remember exactly where we worshiped, but I know that my folks have been here, and I uh, have, have appreciated the work that you're doing here, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm getting to be with you at least a part of this week and to get to become acquainted with you, get to know you. I'm always excited uh, to be able to uh, be in Alabama and, and be with brethren here in this area. I got to experience some of the warm hospitality here last night. I appreciate your prayers on my travel. Uh, had a, a difficult time getting here, flight delayed out of DFW. and. Uh, <laughs> rental car places stay open till 11 during the week but they close at 10 on weekends and I didn't know that my flight got here at almost 11:30, and that young lady stayed there until I got here so that I'd have a car and not have to get an uber ride so you, you if you were lifting up prayers for me last night I want to tell you thank you I, I was uh, very glad to be able to get to the hotel last night even though it was late I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40 and we're going to begin our study there in Isaiah chapter 40 for our Bible study this morning. I want to begin reading in verse 27, uh, or rather in verse 28, Isaiah 40 and verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall, fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. You know, as, as a culture, as a people, we just don't like to wait for things. We, we have a culture uh, uh, here in this country where we're accustomed to getting what we want quickly. We like fast food. We like fast internet. We want the express lane in the grocery store. We just don't really like to wait on things. And I'll tell you, I don't. I don't like waiting in the doctor's office. I don't like waiting at the post office. And I sure don't like waiting in traffic. But there is a sense in which we see in God's word that good things come to those who wait. Now, that's not saying that, that waiting on anything and everything is good for us. But I do believe that in, in general, waiting for things does help to develop a certain amount of patience or endurance in our lives. But especially when we're waiting on the Lord, when we're waiting for Him to, to fulfill a promise like Abraham and Sarah, 
when we're waiting on the Lord to, uh, for answered prayer. These are the things that the Bible is telling us is so very important to each one of us. I, I remember as a kid, we, uh, uh, years ago, we used the, the old red songbook, Sacred Selections, and there was a song in that book that, that I haven't found in any of the others, but it is entitled, Wait and Murmur Not. It was number 339 in that old Sacred Selections book. Wait and murmur not. And, and it harkens back to the days of Israel in Exodus 17 when, when just shortly after leaving Egypt and all of the great uh, miracles and the mighty works that God did by means of Moses, that the people began to murmur. They, they couldn't wait on that promised land. They wanted what they wanted and they wanted it now. And that stands in, in the historical record of God's Word as a warning for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These things were written uh, uh, for our admonition. It, it is to teach us the importance of having the patience to wait on the Lord for the things that truly matter. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. The Lord is not slack, but He is long-suffering. In other words, God is always going to come through. You know, with men, if someone doesn't fulfill a promise in, in a relative amount of time, we're probably not going to see that promise fulfilled. Somebody tells you that they're going to pay you back on Friday, and you haven't gotten anything in a month, you're probably not going to get it. But with God, that's not the case. God is not slack concerning His promise, but God wants us to understand that He suffers long. That there are many times when He can wait and wait and wait. And God wants to teach us the power of waiting for something. Yeah, I think about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. The Bible tells us there in, in, in verse 19 that God had promised him that he was going to uh, uh, live in the field like a beast. And you know, that didn't happen for quite a while, really, at least in our, in our uh, uh, sense of time. And I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar didn't begin to think to himself, well, that isn't really going to happen. But it was a year later, in verses 28 through 29, he had possibly forgotten it. Now, God is not slack concerning His promise, but He is long-suffering. What I want us to look at this morning are some areas where we must learn and appreciate waiting on the Lord. And when Isaiah says, those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles, I want to be one of those, don't you? But I want us to think, uh, as we look at the Scriptures, who are those who wait on the Lord? This is not talking about uh, a waiting in the sense of a, of a waiter, and I think that there is some sense of, of waiting, the way that we usually use the word in, in what that person does, attending to someone else. But this is talking about waiting in the sense of patiently waiting for something to occur. Who are those who wait on the Lord? Well, this is not going to be by any means an exhaustive study, but I want to look at just a few areas with you this morning. First of all, those who wait on the Lord are those who wait until marriage. I see a good number of young people here, and I want you to listen especially that it is crucial that you see that God intends for you to wait until marriage for intimacy. 
that intimacy that belongs only in marriage. Notice with me in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 and in verse 4. And I want you to see the seriousness that God puts upon waiting until marriage for this relationship. In Hebrews 13 and verse 4, the Bible says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. The marriage bed, the bed of intimacy, sexual intimacy in marriage is absolutely pure. It, it shouldn't make us uncomfortable. Now there's obviously a proper way to speak about these things. And the way that a lot of people are entertained by these things is, is not pure. But as far as that relationship between a man and a woman in that lifelong covenant of marriage, it is undefiled, it is pure. And God says you wait for that. It's a blessing from God, but you wait until marriage for that relationship. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. What's the difference? The difference is one waits until that blessing is given by God in a lifelong covenant. The other one does not wait. The other one chooses to, to get that uh, a relationship before the covenant that God has placed it in. You know, God warns us about all of the problems with this. And, and I want to tell you, I'm, I'm raising kids, or I am, am in, the, in the last few uh, breaths of raising kids. Actually, uh, two of my kids are, are grown and, and, and gone from home, and I've got one left that's going to be a senior in high school next year. Two boys and a girl, and I want to tell you, it is a constant work to try to... Uh, uh, keep the accountability and the attentiveness and, and, and the alertness to the dangers and the temptations that are out there. Our culture is so free and so open with everything sexual. And there's temptation everywhere around us. And young people, I, my heart goes out to you. It was terrible when I was growing up, but I, the, the things that I realize as far as what social media has done to sexuality, and, and to the, uh, the ease with which people are able to, to give in to that sin today. It was nothing like that when I was a teenager. And, and I'm not saying that there weren't tremendous temptations back then, but I'm amazed at how, at, at the rapid rate of which this country and our culture is just going into utter filth sexually. And, and our children are almost immersed in it and the things that they're around. But you know what? It was that way in the first century. And God calls on us, regardless of what our culture is doing, He calls on us to be pure. He calls on us to be absolutely devoted to God, to be holy as He is holy. And you can do that. Regardless of what culture you're living in or what time you're living in, you can do that. The Lord is saying, wait for me. I'll bless you with this relationship, but it belongs in marriage. I want you to listen in the Song of Solomon to the Shulamite girl. In, in the Song of Solomon in chapter 2, and in verse 4, she is speaking about this young man that she is so in love with, and she says in verse 4 of chapter 2, He brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love. Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. Sounds a little dramatic to me, but, but she is swept away with love. And it's a beautiful thing that God reveals something like this to us by means of the Holy Spirit to show us this is a part of life. This is what God intended, that we 
be able to enjoy our youth, as Ecclesiastes chapter 11 says, but to know that God will hold us accountable for the choices that we make in youth. And so she's talking about the fact that here is this young man, his banner over her is love, metaphorical of the fact that he's uh, uh, not uh, too tough of a man uh, to show the world that, that he honors her and that he loves her. He is showing the world, this is the young woman that I'm in love with. And so she is swept away with that. And in verse 6, she says, his left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. Now notice how the whole tenor changes. Verse 7, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. You know, it's almost as if she caught herself in the throes of those emotions. Now there's physical contact. His left hand is under her head. His right hand embraces her. And she realizes something's changing. Something is being stirred up here. And it's almost as if she says, stop. And she says to the other young ladies, do not stir up or awaken this until it's time. There are some things that we do not need to delve into or to stir up until it's the proper time. And marriage is that proper time for that physical relationship, that intimacy that belongs only in marriage. You know, in Proverbs chapter 7, as the wise man speaks about the young man devoid of understanding in verse 7. He speaks about this young man that, that did not understand the danger that he was in in his encounter with this immoral woman. She dressed immodestly with the attire of a harlot. She had a crafty heart. I want you to notice one of the first things that she did is she caught him and kissed him. And then she begins to convince him that he needs to come back to her house, that her husband is not home and he won't be home for a long time. And she says in verse 16, I've spread my bed with tapestry, color, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed. In verse 18, come let us take our fill of love until morning. There's nothing about love involved in that. It was lust. But I want you to see how enticing she was. He goes on to tell us in verse 21, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. And, and what was he devoid of understanding? Listen, in verse 22, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Both of these are examples of something that does not know what awaits them, does not know what they don't know. And so in verse 23, till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. This is the thing. That when we're young, we, we can uh, try to rationalize what we're doing and think, well, it's not, this isn't that bad, or it's not going to have that many consequences, or, or it's going to be okay. And God's saying, you don't understand how significant this sin is in your life. He's not saying that we cannot be forgiven of this sin or any other sin. What he's saying is, that this is one of those sins that once it entraps somebody, it is incredibly difficult to free oneself from that continued sin. Verse 24, Now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to, my to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. 
Verse 26, young men, listen, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. You know, one of the rationalizations that, that, that's made so often, young people say, well, it's okay. We can go here, we can be alone together. We can go and see that movie that is, that is filled with explicit material, and, and we'll be all right because I'm strong, I'm a strong Christian. And God's saying, all who were slain by her were strong men. Don't trust that. What we see in the Bible is that whenever a godly man was tempted with this kind of temptation, the only option was to flee. Not moderation, it was to flee. And that's because of the gravity of this sin. Throughout the Proverbs, Proverbs 5, 1 through 6, you might jot that down in your notes. Proverbs 6 and verses 23 through 28, he warns us about a man taking fire to his bosom and not being burned. And what he's saying is that a man who commits sexual sin, it's going to leave lasting scars. That's his point. And so in Proverbs 9 and in verse 17, he says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. See, that's the way that it looks. That's what's enticing about it. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. Young people, you have to understand the seriousness of this sin. Those who wait on the Lord, who mount up on wings of eagles, are those who wait for marriage, for intimacy. I want you, before we move from this point, I want you to notice with me in Romans 13. Turn to Romans 13. Young people especially, I want you to note this verse. I want you to highlight this verse. Romans 13 and verse 14. You know, when I was growing up, I, I've got to tell you, I don't remember enough, I'm not going to say any, but not enough very direct preaching and teaching about how to overcome this kind of temptation and this sin. And, and the common, the, the worldly view, and unfortunately, there, there are far too many worldly Christians that buy into the worldly view of dating. And, and the idea uh, of dating is that, well, uh, you can, as far as intimacy and, and, and being physical with, with uh, someone that you're dating, as long as you just don't go too far, everything else is all right. I want to tell you, that's simply not true. I want you to look in Romans 13 and verse 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. No provision. That's zero. And you know what it means to make provision for something. You, you're actually providing something to help it succeed. You know, you, the church here has made provisions for me uh, to stay and to have transportation during this meeting, and that is for the success of this meeting. You want me to stay through Wednesday night. I'm sure there's a way you could treat me that I wouldn't stay through Wednesday night. And, but you've made those provisions. You know, we can do the same thing with the old devil. We can do the same thing with temptation. We can flirt with it. We can make provision for it. We can do those things that, as the Shulamite said, is going to stir up and awaken those desires that once they get going, it's like trying to stop a freight train. You don't just do it all at once. And so the warning here is, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, young people, if you're old enough to be dating, I want you to think about some of the things that young people do when they say, well, we're not committing fornication, we haven't gone all the way, and yet the embrace 
and the passionate kissing, what we called making out when I was young, I, I don't know what it's called now. I'm, I'm not going to try to sound stupid and act like I, it, terms change all the time. When I was young, I remember preachers talk, talking about heavy petting, and I thought, what is that? <laughs> we never use that term. Yeah, I petted my dog, you know. So I, I realize that these terms change, but you know what I'm talking about. That is making provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And somebody says, well, Brett, that's innocent. Two young people kissing each other. You're talking about two young people who aren't married kissing each other? If kissing is innocent, then how about one of you men try kissing someone else's wife? And let's see how innocent that is. And I'm not talking about the way that I kiss my mom and my sister when I see them. You know what I'm talking about. That kind of kiss is not innocent. The very idea of it is to stir up and awaken what is absolutely pure in marriage, what is absolutely holy and right in marriage, but it's not right outside of marriage. Let us not fool ourselves. Let us not buy the playbook and use the playbook of the world. If you want to succeed, young people, if you want to succeed in being pure the day that you're married and giving your lifelong mate the gift of your purity, then you're going to have to get real and be honest about what it takes to be pure and to wait on the Lord for this. You know, when we're talking about waiting on the Lord till marriage, I, I want to emphasize too that it's not just waiting for that relationship of sexual intimacy, but it also means to wait on the Lord for a true helpmeet. In Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 18, the Lord, after creating Adam, the Lord saw that it is not good that man should be alone, and he said, I will make him a helper comparable to him. That's what we're looking for. It is not who is the most popular, or who's the cutest, or, or uh, who's going to get uh, the most likes when I post a picture of them on social media. It's about who's going to help me get to heaven. Who's going to help me train up my children to know the Lord and to serve Him with all of their heart? Who's going to help me to do that? You know, in Proverbs chapter 31 and verses 10 through 12, the king's mother said, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Young men, as you, as you are getting to know this young woman, can that be said about her? Does, the heart, does your heart safely trust in her? You can't imagine how horrible life will be if you're married to someone that you cannot trust with your bank account or your credit card. You cannot trust this young woman when she's out at the grocery store or shopping. You can't trust her not to exchange glances with another man. You can't imagine the misery of life like that. You can't trust her to care for the children and to train them up with a spiritual mind and with values that are holy. Now this, you're looking for a woman who does you good and not evil all the days of her life. In Proverbs 11 and in verse 22, he said, As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. A young woman may be incredibly popular and very cute, but she dresses immodest. First of all, if you're going to be going out on a date with her and the two of you being alone, riding in a car, 
and she's dressed immodest, she's showing part of her body that's going to be constantly tempting you, you might as well put a gun to your head. You, you, this is what you need to start right here and express to her, we can't do that. You can't dress that way. See how she responds. You'll find out something about her heart. But, it, but it, she may be very cute and, and, and incredibly attractive, but God's telling you, I don't care how beautiful she is on the outside, if she lacks discretion, if she does not understand the gravity of being a Christian and purity and modesty and serving God in the proper fear, then as beautiful as she is, it's going to be about as beautiful as a, gold of ring, a ring of gold in a swine's snout. That's not very pretty. I don't care how pretty that ring is, it's not very pretty in a pig's nose. In Proverbs chapter 12 and in verse 4, the wise men said, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is rottenness to his bones. We have to understand that choosing the right person is absolutely crucial. In Proverbs 22 and verses 24 through 25, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Young ladies, that young man that is so good looking and he's a great athlete, and, and it's just so cool that he'll get in a fight at the drop of a hat if somebody looks the wrong way at you. That, that may be flattering. But when that same temper is turned on you, and you're married for the rest of your life to this person, that's not going to be very pleasant. And it's going to be even worse when that same temper is turned toward your children. You have to be able to see these values and to see them for what they are. Don't be blind to these things. In Proverbs 24 and verses 30 through 34, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Notice in chapter 26 and verse 13, the lazy man says there's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. Young ladies, have you even considered whether or not that young man has any work ethic at all? What does he spend all of his time doing? Is he really good at sports, but he's never turned to tap at work? Is, does he play video games all the time? Do, has his father taught him how to, how to work and serve other people? What, what is his work ethic? You can't imagine what it will be like, wondering if you're going to be able to pay the grocery bill this next month, or if the kids are going to be able to have clothes to wear for school when school starts. And, and what God's telling us is, the lazy man always has an excuse there's always a reason his boss did him wrong. And you can imagine what it's like to work with this person. And that's why he quit his job. And he's just looking for another job. That would be a miserable life. And you'll say, I had no idea. Oh, let me tell you, the, the flags will be there. The red flags will be there. What kind of worker is this young man? Again and again, young people need to be able to see who they're marrying, and that comes through Bible study, spending time with their parents. Is that young woman respectful of her father? Is her mother a man-hater? She's probably not going to respect you. And she's going to tear you apart with her words the rest of your marriage. Does he respect his mother? 
Does he show her kindness? Is he gentle with young ladies? Does he show you respect? Is his banner over you love? You need to understand that all of these are things that God is going to give you the opportunity to see. If you will slow down, wait on the Lord, don't let yourself fall in love first, but get to know that person, their spiritual values, their life values. Wait on the Lord for someone to help you. I, I remember we, when we were in Lubbock, Texas, working with the church there, we had a lot of students from Texas Tech and, and we'd see these students come in as freshmen. They're so excited to have so many friends and other young people at church. By the time they get to be about a junior, if they weren't dating someone pretty seriously, you could see that, that void. They became aware of that void in their life. And, oh, they're just wondering if, if they're ever going to find that person. By the time they become a senior, they could be so lonely and so down. And many times my wife and I would sit with them and, and, and try to encourage them that, you know, that, that person that's going to help you get to heaven may be right around the corner and the Lord is having you wait for a reason. Maybe that person's not ready or maybe you're not ready. Maybe there's some things that you need to do, but don't rush this. Don't get in a hurry about who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Yes, we need to wait on the Lord. I want you to realize that when we talk about those who wait on the Lord, it's not just those who wait on the Lord until marriage but those who wait on the Lord are those who wait on the Lord to vindicate them. There's so many times that we, ha we are wronged in this life and we want to get our pound of flesh as soon as we can. But listen to what God says in Proverbs chapter 20. In Proverbs chapter 20 and in verse 22, the wise man said, do not say I will recompense evil. Wait on the Lord and he will save you. God is saying to us, hey, that's not your place. It is not your place to get vengeance. It is not your place to vindicate yourself. God can do that better than we can ever imagine. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17, I know you're familiar with the text. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me tell you, you will never be filled you will never be gratified with vengeance. You will never be able to get enough to satisfy you. And so God says, you surrender that. Commit that to me. God will take care of that. You know, I, I know of no better example of this than with David and Nabal. You remember in 1 Samuel 25, David had been guarding the flocks of this man out in the wilderness. And so when David said, uh, sends message to this man, hey, would you send provisions to me and my men? And Nabal refused. He said, I don't, I don't have anything to do with you. So David decided he was going to go and kill that man and everybody that belonged to him. And on his way, you'll remember Nabal's wife, Abigail. She had the wisdom to go out and to make an appeal to David. And her appeal to David was, you're a better man than this. God will vindicate you. Don't lower yourself to my foolish husband's level. 
let God vindicate you. And we know the outcome. Nabal died by the hand of God. David listened to her good wisdom and he waited on the Lord. God vindicated David. What a beautiful example that is. We think about Moses in Numbers chapter 12 and in verse 3 when he was being accosted by his brother and his sister. And it tells us, now the man Moses was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the, of the earth. Moses did not defend himself. He let God vindicate him. And, and God certainly did it. He struck his sister, leprosy. And what we see is that God can always accomplish these things better than we can. Listen to David in his Psalms, in the 37th Psalm, and in verse 1. David says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. All of this is to say, David's telling us, and he ought to know. I mean, he's experienced this. Think of what he went through in his life with Saul. And he's telling us, that'll never bring you happiness. Never give you satisfaction. Wait on the Lord for vindication. I want to suggest to you not only do we need to learn to wait on the Lord to vindicate us, but we also need to learn to wait on the Lord for the right kind of growth in the church. There are far too many churches that are, that are looking around saying, well, we're just not growing like I think we ought to. We're not growing like that first century church. And instead of going back to the first century, with the old Jerusalem gospel and taking it out to the world and sharing it with everyone that we know, they decide to come up with another scheme. They set aside the Word of God and they come up with all of the, the social methods of growth. They're, they're following the playbook of the mega churches, and they're going to use entertainment and, and social meals. They're going, to, they're going to tone down the preaching they're going to have more motivational speeches and they're going to get, uh, instead of preachers, after dinner speakers. And they're going to try to just make people feel good. I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to fill the pews with something like that. The right marketing, the right social media presence. Tone down the preaching, sand off the rough edges. And then give the people what they want. Carnally minded people want carnal things. And that's what a lot of churches have determined to do. Denominations have been doing it for years. Unfortunately, many of our brethren have been doing it for years. And they fill their building on many occasions. But what kind of growth is that? What kind of growth is that? You know, just size is not necessarily growth that we're looking for. You know, an old dead cow gets big. <laughs> It'll swell up in the pasture, won't it, you know? Bigger than it has ever been. But that's not the kind of growth that you want in your cattle, is it? And just because a, a, a congregation is getting big does not mean that that's actually spiritual growth. 
Spiritual growth comes as a result of God's Word, which is able to build us up in the most holy faith. You know, the Bible tells us uh, uh, and warns us about taking things into our own ham, hands. We look at Sarah and Hagar. In Genesis chapter 16, Sarah saw that she wasn't uh, 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 conceiving, and so she told Abram, I I'm going to give you my handmaid. She was taking things into her hands, and she created a mess with Ishmael. You know, Saul decided that he couldn't wait any longer for Samuel to offer a sacrifice, and he told Samuel, I forced myself. What he did was sinful. He couldn't wait, though. He thought that he had to do it now. And I think that that's what's going on with a lot of churches. They think, well, we, we just can't wait. We've got to do something. We've got to take this into our own hands. What we've got to realize is that when the Word of the Lord goes forth, we'll be talking about this tomorrow night. When the Word of the Lord goes forth, it will prosper in the thing for which God sent it. We've got to have more faith in the Word of God, and we've got to make sure that we're actually getting the Word out there. Yes, we've got to be able to see. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us in verse 2, to desire the pure milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. We're going to grow as a result of God's Word. But then finally, I want us to see that those who wait on the Lord are willing to wait for the, their eternal home. You know, we get caught up in our temporal home here, where we live, our hobbies, our investments, our cars, our house. We're always wanting better. We're always wanting more. The, the younger generation always wants what their parents have now. They, they don't want to start where their parents started. They want to start where their parents are now. And, and this is the idea of not being willing to wait for what is truly lasting. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, in verses 19 through 21, the Bible said, uh, uh, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. He's making a distinction between those people and those who serve God. He said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Too many times, our God becomes our belly. And, and that doesn't mean that it's necessarily evil or immoral things. It, it's just the things, the temporal things of this life. And, and getting more and, and always having nicer and nicer things. And we're, what we're essentially doing is trying to make our home here. Go back and read Haggai chapter 1. They were dwelling in their paneled homes and they weren't building the temple of God. And how many of us are setting aside the work of God just for a little while while we get ourselves established and set financially. Now, this is not our home. This world is not our home. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find such a beautiful example in verses 13 through 16. In Hebrews 11 and verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now 
They desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. These people are looking for their home elsewhere. That doesn't mean that we can't ever fix anything on our house, but we don't get consumed with it. Again, the book of Haggai in chapter 1 and verses 3 through 11, dwelling in their paneled houses while God's house was in ruins. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, in verses 19 through 21, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to take that thought into the next hour. But I want us to realize that's what's going on. That's the problem. We've got to learn to wait for our home and not try to have it here. You know, biblically, waiting is not just something that we have to do until we get what we want. But waiting is a part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. I hope that you'll take this very seriously, thoughtfully, as you make application of it in your life. Appreciate your kind attention. We'll dismiss uh, until, uh, for just a few minutes until the next hour.